you don't want to see a world in which some executive is like, wow, we made that happen during the lockdown and we were able to not have to pay like an entire crew of people for Anderson's show or for Chris's show or for whoever's show. So can we explore that? No, no, we are not going to explore that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com. I'm a talk show host in Canada and also an entertainment reporter. And yes, I've now become that person who makes her own chicken broth. Hi, I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television writer and producer, and I am also the keeper of the secrets. I saw you with dough this weekend. You've become a dough raiser. There are some places I will not go. Yes, indeed. I made my pizza, but... We are not here to talk about food. We are here to grade certain celebrities during the lockdown. We are doing a lockdown report card. It's been a month since the entire entertainment industry was sent indoors. We have your rundown on who has an A, a B, a C, or even an F. This is Show Your Work. done like the acting thing, right? As in on your Zoom screen, you have uh, Meredith Grey and Dr. Bailey um, and uh, whoever acting out a scene or like an entire episode. This is a thing that you've seen done? No, have they? Not in so many words. I've seen table reads. Uh, The cast of Big Mouth did a table read of, I believe, an existing episode so you sort of get that idea. Oh, my God. Did you see that uh, the My So-Called Life cast all got on Zoom together for the first time in like 26 years or whatever it was? Minus, minus Jordan Catalano. Obviously. Like, yeah. obviously, he's behind the bleachers somewhere. Um, no, I don't know if they've done that like live version of a fictional show, uh, except for SNL, which sort of tried to do that right like where they did their own essentially hair and makeup so uh larry david just looks like larry david not like the bernie sanders he was supposed to portray right um yeah i'm just trying to think of what other experience uh people can accomplish i guess it would be i wonder like it would be the actual live concert do you mean like live, like uh, 11 tracks and like taking shout outs from people? But not pre-taped right. with no audience, right? Like all the all the together at home and live concerts that have been so far have all been like it's, with the exception of with the exception of Instagram live. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, like a broadcast live. 
Yeah, no, they haven't done that. Because um, they've all been pre-taped. Like, they've all recorded their own performances, sent them to, you know, control room, and everything has been edited together. Right. Um, they haven't done that. That's absolutely true. That could be a hilarious uh, exercise. And you just, you know, if somebody's Wi-Fi goes down or whatever, you're like, just fuck it. We're switching to somebody else right now. Um I'm also yeah. wondering if we can do it outside the realm of entertainment. Like, can you, is there somebody coming up with a way, like a virtual massage or something or a, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think, like, do you plug in and they say all the soothing things and they play that weird music that you hear. And then, uh, I don't know, you're, you're touching your own uh, pressure points. I have no idea. Like, what are the limits now of what we can do? I, I, there should be limits. Uh, uh, there should be limits. Based on enough, what? enough is enough. Like, no, I don't think that. And like, a, you know, I know you were just kind of spitballing that example, but I think that there, like, there shouldn't be a virtual massage. You should be able to feel the fucking massage. Um, I don't want like. <laughs> I don't want virtual haircuts and whatnot. Um, I understand that there is space for creativity right now because we're being told and we have to stay at home. But I don't really have a lot of time for like, everything can be done now in this space. Fuck that. Nope. I think I go back to what you said maybe like a couple of weeks ago where um, do you remember like the first week of sheltering at home, we were all super into the house party and the Zoom. And then by day eight, it was like, I'm over this. I can't do another fucking house party. I have to Zoom in the daytime anyway for work and you can't quit that. And our house party productivity or participation fucking died. I mean, it was like over. Well, my philosophy on that actually is that uh, nobody has anything new to say to each other. Like the idea of um, hanging out is to be like, hi, how are you? How's your day? And people don't have a new update all the time, right? Like the it's at the point now where people are telling each other, I'm making this for dinner. Okay, I'm making that because what else is there to say? We all know how everybody is. That's why I was getting to what are like almost non-social experiences that uh, that people are maybe going to fill in the gaps with. And I think that for me, I, I don't know that there's like a lack of things to talk about, or at least, you know, with the people we know. Fine. It's You're very I, interesting. I just, That's great. <laughs> it's just that I don't want to do it. I don't want to be on the house party. I don't want to be like looking at and like it. It's I find it already exhausting. Well, that's a super cheery note. So let's start talking for two hours while looking at each other. So we thought on this episode, we would do kind of like a report card on a few entertainers who are getting top grades uh, for lockdown work <laughs> and then maybe <laughs> like just above passing for lockdown work. And, and then maybe like needs improvement, remedial. Is that what remedial is? I mean, sure, <laughs> needs improvement, but then uh, just above passing. I thought we were going to give somebody like uh, a B minus sort of situation. I didn't think we were going. Oh, uh, that was my tiger mom talking. 
B minus is just above passing. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> listen, we're supposed to be into the like meat of the episode now, but I have two sidebar uh, with one and one half pieces of information. Number one, uh, you guys either ignore me or laugh, but I have to say that literally I have had self-care from watching college admission reaction videos on YouTube. There are thousands upon thousands of these kids open their envelopes or their emails that they get with their acceptances or not. And they save the videos and then edit them all together. So they're all date stamped from December through April. It is very, um, it's very sweet and wholesome somehow. And I strongly encourage you to take a look if you feel like this is interesting. It's just really sweet kids going like, oh my God, I, I got into Bowdoin. I got into Bowdoin and they lose their shit. But also guess what I found out? What's that? American universities look at Canadian grades and automatically ratchet them up 5 to 15%. Wow. Really? Isn't that nuts? There's like, apparently there's some sort of sliding scale key. So they know that, you know, an 85 in... New Brunswick or Alberta is equivalent to a 98 in Ohio or Arizona. Shit. People should be sending their kids to come to here to high school. Later. Not now. Later. I mean, uh, on a separate podcast that we'll call uh, Duanna Talks About Colleges and Universities, I'll explain why uh, McGill is having a big enrollment boost because Americans insist on calling it the Harvard of the North. And it's like, no, guys, it's the McGill of Canada. <laughs> but let's let's get on with our report card, shall we? Okay. So um, let's start with top grades, shall we? Sure thing. Uh, or shall we start with the people who need the most work? Let's maybe let, maybe let's start there. Let's sort of say uh, here's yeah. here's the grade you're not making, especially since three weeks ago, I think we had high hopes for these people. So we're talking, of course, about Harry and Meghan. And the reason that I, uh, you know, sort of prompt a little bit is because, let's be honest, I, I rely on you to keep me updated on these guys. So, yes, we talked about what they were going to call themselves mm -hmm. uh, and what that brand might look like. Uh, immediately, I think after we stopped recording, Teresa emailed me. She was the very first person to tell me that it was called Archwell. Um, the less said about that, maybe the better. <laughs> Love it. Right. Anyway, so yes, um, in the intervening weeks, as you say, we found out the name of their whatever charitable entity that they will launch, which is not yet ready to launch. It's just that the name has been registered and then they confirm that that is the name. Uh, they have uh, been seen out in public now multiple times paparazzi LA style out in the wild, um, delivering meals to Project Angel Food, which assists chronically um, ill clients who aren't able to cook or um, go shopping for themselves. Um, they have also written a letter to the UK tabloids, letting them know that they will no longer engage with them. 
They wrote a letter to them to let them know that they will no longer engage with them. Right. So literally, uh, that's the equivalent of knocking on somebody's door and saying, I'm not going to play with you, and then taking your toys and going home. Right. And the difference being that the person whose door you knocked on is your bully. Yeah. yeah, Well, sure. But as soon as you engage again, it's like, yeah, quit it. Right. Um, So yeah, multiple sets of pop photos. They're hiking. They're uh, uh, delivering meals. I mean, they... When we last talked about them on this podcast, like they had said and we had said, hey, go away for a bit, strategize, do your thing, lay low, come back hard. I think that for our purposes, like this is not a failing grade of like being who they are. Yeah, yeah. I think for us, we talk about strategy. We talk about rollout. Um, and we talk about like a cohesive plan. Like this is the um, getting ready to kick off a new album cycle or a new film. Uh And this isn't quite how I imagined their next cycle would be. You know, um, typically if – let's take the example of an album cycle. You go underground, usually – there's a new sound or a new look, a new image, all that, and you make people kind of put to rest the previous album cycle before you roll into the new album cycle so that there's a marked differentiation between eras. And there doesn't seem to have been like a gap between pre-LA Harry and Meghan era now, Harry and Meghan L.A. era. So to boil it down, what you're saying is they're not allowing us to miss them. Correct. Like you're sick of seeing them, essentially. It's the, and also it's kind of the perfect time to miss them or to go underground, right? Like not that there's anything perfect about this time, but the world is in lockdown. The world is sheltering in place. There is no work. There's no, there's no going out there. And so yeah, going underground for a while is kind of less hard than it could be. Sure. So I guess the other side of that then is why not? Do you think, I mean, on some level, maybe they've never had to think about that so much that they assume people will always be happy to see them is one philosophy, right? Or... um the other side of that is, are they worried that people will forget about them? Like, is that what we have to be concerned about? And isn't that a classic celebrity reaction? Uh, yeah, it is. But to the point where I'm not sure I buy it yet because they haven't had that celebrity thing that happens. Celebrities feel like, oh, you're going to miss me and and not talk about me if news cycles that they used to dominate go on without them, right? Right. Which happens when you are, if you are promoting something, a new album, a new whatever, and then you take a break uh, and you go, oh, look, the papers still fill the front page. Uh, they they still manage to have headlines and, and interviews and magazine covers. So that's where that anxiety comes from. And I don't know if they've had that yet or... 
do you think this is like insurance? Is it so worrisome that uh, we won't know who they are, that they're like, we got to get out in front of this? I mean, I hope that they're, that is not in their minds. I hope that they're not already because again, it, there hasn't been like, I don't know, 10 days to two weeks that's gone by where we haven't had a headline about them, like a new update or whatnot. So I don't know that they would even have the time to think that. Having said that, I think your question is, is that like the thing that keeps them up at night? Oh, it's been six days. We should get a new story out there because uh, what if people start t- stop talking about us? Well, I just wonder where you think this is coming from. If what we're talking about at its core is enough already, like uh, end a chapter, take a nap, and then start a new chapter. Uh, What's the impetus to not do that? Or who is advising them, and I mean in the broadest sense, not names, uh, to to keep up this level of uh, engagement? I think that's an interesting, like, I'm glad that you went there in terms of who is advising them, because they do have a new team now. Um, They are no longer working with anybody at Buckingham Palace, which was already an institutionalized, not very imaginative public relations, um, you know, system that probably didn't suit a couple that is as intriguing and as exciting as the Sussexes. So in LA, uh, they have decided to work with Sunshine Sachs, which is a pretty established institutionalized Hollywood PR firm that, yes, handles some big celebrities like Leonardo DiCaprio and... I don't know, Ben Affleck, but I wouldn't say to me is cutting edge or super imaginative and modern and is like thinking outside of the usual avenues, like beyond, hey, let's leak this through people and or let's leak this through Entertainment Tonight or whatever. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I'm trying to think of whether there's a any sort of philosophy that could be seen as uh, you know, this is how we're going to treat this. For example, like you said, paparazzi shots. The implication is they called them themselves. And I think we are so cynical now. And in many ways, celebrities have made us cynical that when we see paparazzi shots, we can tell or we think we can tell when it's a setup or when it's just candid and they just happen to, I don't know, get busted? Well, I mean, there are two things there. Uh, Number one, I found it really interesting. There was an article a couple of weeks ago that I think you sent me about how the paparazzi are actually, uh, you know, they need to eat uh, and they're having trouble because there aren't people out on the streets so much. So that's one part of it. The other part was I was thinking about, let's say that, you know, I had high profile clients moving to a new place. Uh, Maybe you have them go to their regular spots. Uh, Obviously, this is not in a pandemic, but uh, whatever, going in and out. And you tell paparazzi or so forth so that that in itself doesn't become the prize to get right? That once there are some shots of them going in and out of the house, it's like, okay, those are not that exciting. Then, uh, you know, the paparazzi won't be waiting for that shot each and every day. Right. Is that, 
is that a known thing or have I just developed my own PR strategy? No, that's a known thing where, you know, you you do the one call to like almost let the air out of the balloon. That's what I'm getting at. Right. But I thought I was brilliant and innovative. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fair. Um I think though that even for them, for a movie star to do it, let's say someone who's just gotten married, just had a baby, just gotten a, do- a divorce, all of that, right? Where the price on their head, to use an expression that, um, you know, the big time celebrities often use, like Brad Pitt and George Clooney, they've referred to it as the price on someone's head, yeah, is like so a high. That's mm-hmm. right. So the bounty is so high that, yeah, maybe you do a setup shot to take, again, to take away the like exclusiveness and to release some of that pressure. Megan and Harry, having said that, have, you know, taken this line of privacy, don't follow us around. We're not, we're not like movie stars. We are this. So for them to even go there and even to consider that is in and of, in and of itself controversial. Which leads me to, do the Obamas work with publicists? Yes. That is the comparable uh, shift, right? Mm-hmm. The Obamas were public figures, but more importantly, in public service, right? So there was yes. only so much they could do and, uh, and be a part of and so forth. And then after uh, a, a cooling off period, as you point out, uh, then they shifted their perspective. Now, look, they're in extraordinary situations where nobody could possibly miss them more. Uh, it's, you know, the approval ratings are through the roof as it is comparatively. <clears throat> but uh, they did that shift where it's like, OK, now we're Barack and Michelle and we have a number of media and charity interests. Yes? Yep. And it never felt mechanical. It never felt like there was a relaunch of their brand. So why not? Or what's the difference? What's the lesson there? I think the lesson there is, well, first of all, the Obamas, um, the Obamas aren't like super papped on a regular basis. They also No, no, not at all. Now they're not based in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. with a higher concentration. Um, so, and they are from time to time photographed, but they're not super pap. Like we're not seeing them on the, you know, TMZ every other day, right? We can agree no. on that. And I know that they, I'm sure they have help and all the rest of it, but part of what was frustrating for both of the Obamas by their own admission was like the lack of freedom. So they might be more likely than most to go out, uh, you know, and buy milk by themselves or go for a run in uh, relatively unprotected circumstances where they could be papped if that was something people wanted. With Secret Service agents. Of course, of course. (laughs) But the Secret Service agents don't ruin the photos because they're not in suits anymore. They'll wear plain clothes. Um, Where where we have seen the Obama's lives affected in a similar way is on occasion, Malia and Sasha are papped, right? Yep. Uh, if if there's a spring break, I believe that Sasha has been papped on spring break. I think Malia has been papped with her boyfriend um, in New York. But again, those are like those also those instances are also far apart. Yes. Um, Malia wasn't getting papped every fucking day, 
and Sasha's not getting papped every fucking day. And those pictures go for a lot of money. Don't think that like photographers aren't interested in what Malia and Sasha Obama are doing. It's just that they, Malia and Sasha, are not interested in being papped. Right. And uh, to sing the song that you've told us many times ago, uh, it's possible in day-to-day situations to control it, right? It's less able at Coachella or at like some big uh, Harvard versus Yale mixer or whatever the fuck it was. On the beach. Yes. Yeah. And so um, with respect to Harry and Meghan, it's – It's really hard even for the most ardent supporter of Harry and Meghan not to raise an eyebrow at them arriving in L.A., going through whatever, a couple weeks of quarantine after getting there from Canada, and then essentially in the space of a week getting paparazzi so many times. Um, You know? I I, Look, I do, but I guess what I'm wondering or waiting for you to tell me is what kind of a means to an end do they think it is? Like, we can disagree with the strategy, but what is the plan supposed to be? What is the mechanism behind, uh, yes, we're going to be, there's going to be new shots of us every single day? And I don't have an answer to that. I don't know. I know that it doesn't make sense to me. If either one of us was advising them, we would both say, like, it's okay for us to not see you for like two months. It's like, don't worry. It's still going to be there. Um, And it may very well be that all of this is coincidence and they didn't mean to get photographed this many times and they didn't mean to this, that, and the other. I just, I don't think that, I don't love it for the rollout of eventually what we had such big hopes for. Right. Um, And so, yeah, the takeaway being it's okay. Like, give us a chance to miss you, first of all. Uh, And second, uh, if it is all coincidence, uh, wear the same clothes over and over again. Right. Like if you're going to be quarantining, show us that you are, in fact, just like us uh, and wear the same sweatshirt for six days on end. Right. So uh, I would say C. Yeah, sure. Or, you know, to really mangle the metaphor, uh, I'd say there's an incomplete here because there's no work that's being done to counteract the clowning around in class. Got it. How do they grade at Oxford? Uh, At Oxford, uh, the, the amount of points that you get when you graduate adheres to a scale, right? If you got a first at Oxford... Okay. Uh, then that's a really, really high level. That's an A+. Uh, okay. Then you can get a 2-1 or a 2-2 or a whatever, uh, and then below a certain level of that. I think there's a 3-1, and then after, like, if you get a third, you're not bragging about it much. Oh, I would give this a third. <laughs> uh, you've been told, you two, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, you have the the graduating seniors from before to look up to. So there we go. All right, let's move on then to our mid-grade subject. Sure, yeah. Um, Ryan Murphy. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Murphy, um, you know, it almost seems scandalous to give Ryan Murphy a, a middle grade. Because uh, Ryan Murphy, like so many people lately, does the most, right? He yep. is, um, Ryan Murphy is coming out with, uh, it's in, I believe it's the end of this month, Ryan Murphy's newest show, Hollywood, uh, is launching on Netflix. And uh, it's about the, you know, the actresses and actors in sort of the golden age of Hollywood, right? There's uh, Rock Hudson, there's Hattie McDaniel, who was the Gone with the Wind star, and she sat at a segregated table at the Academy Awards, and Anna Mae Wong, who was considered to be the the first Chinese-American film star, right? So that's what Hollywood, the Ryan Murphy show, builds around. And the trailer was actually released uh, Monday, uh, today. And what'd you think? I, 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 I feel like may I don't trust my taste right now. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I it's weird. I think that I guess right now I'm consuming pre-pandemic, as you know. I was pretty selective about about what I watched. Uh, yes, you watched BTS content. The end. <laughs> no, but even like the series that I would binge, I was really, I was pretty like, first of all, I was a monogamous binger. You are able to watch several episodes of lots of things uh, like all day long. And you know me, I'm pretty monogamous about the the, the show or the thing that I'm into and I will watch that until it's done, and then I will watch something else. Right? Yeah, but don't you find then you don't even have a chance to savor it? Like if it's only six episodes or ten episodes long, you you don't have a chance to to even like long for it the same way that if you're if you're watching something with six seasons and ten episodes each, then you get to really like get in there. No, I feel like it's different. I think that I'm I'm fully committed to that person. I was going to say person, but I'm fully committed to that project and I can, I don't have eyes for anybody else. Well, those people, that's fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) Those fictional people. Right. Now though, I am watching everything that's different and so much stimulus, like I'm so, I'm stimulated in so many different ways on top of like the stimulation or the stress stimulation of like coping with this new reality that, um, I I feel like my barometer and my gauge is off or it needs to be recalibrated and I have to have a new gauge. So I watched, the whole point is I watched this trailer and I asked myself, why was I, why am I not that excited? Okay. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I thought, yeah, I hear that. I think that this is, uh, it has the sort of, I mean, look, all Ryan Murphy series are kind of 
of a type, right? Like there's uh, some over the topness and a lot of characters that you're like, wow, that's, are they going to do that? And, and so forth. I think it suffers from us still having a once upon a time in Hollywood hangover. Mm. And that could just be me. But the whole thing of like, oh, we're romanticizing Hollywood. Oh, wait, no, Hollywood is terrible is a, a road that we just walked down not too long ago, right? Uh, culturally, pop culturally. Yeah. Uh, and I think it also brings to mind uh, that FX show recently, Feud. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of this recently. Overlap. That said, it pointedly is different in the sense that we're seeing you know, people of color and uh, and gay men in a way that those shows or films, uh, you know, essentially erased, right? Like they didn't exist in the narratives of those worlds that we saw most recently. See, and this is what I mean about my gauge and, you know, my meter, because when I watched the trailer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood didn't come to mind for me. It only came to mind just now, as you said it. I did not like the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In fact, I have no time for it. Um, I wish I'd never seen it. It was a waste of my time. I think you know how I feel about that film. Um, And so now I might go back and look at the trailer through the lens of you talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and perhaps be more excited about Ryan Murphy's Hollywood. Ask me how I felt about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How did you feel about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I fell asleep for 40 minutes and didn't miss a thing. There was Uh nothing in the entire plot when I woke up that I was not able to follow or that Uh I felt I was not equipped for. Yeah. You probably missed a scene in one of Rick Dalton's movies. Uh, Probably. Uh, Something like that. Uh, Yeah. So it's. I guess, is it ironic that Once Upon a Time has the word time in the title because it felt like it sucked up so much of my time? Anyway, so, but you've just put that in my head. So when we are done this, I'm going to watch Ryan Murphy's trailer again through that lens and see how, how, like, if I process it differently. And that's another thing. Like, I'm suggestible right now. I mean, a cult could get me right now, I think. I mean, that is fascinating. Uh, Speaking of paging Ryan Murphy. (laughs) Um, I'm excited. It has, uh, stars Laura Harrier, who I loved in Spider-Man and some other stuff. Patty. Oh, Black Klansman. Yes. She was great. Uh, Patty Lupone is in this. Like, I think it's going to be a great time. Uh, but the, the other thing is that this is Ryan Murphy. So God knows that even as we are formulating our opinions, he is generating his next seven series, right? Uh, We've established on this show that there are uh, not everything on the upcoming IMDb section is reliable, but uh, suffice it to say that he has approximately uh, 1 billion things in development, uh, including an untitled Halston miniseries. He's prolific. That's his whole thing, right? He almost won't even care how uh, how Hollywood does per se, because there's going to be so many other things to get our attention. Yes. Yes. So, you know, on the grade scale, if this is a if this turns out to be a, 
a B minus or a B plus or whatever, there's a lot more coming. And that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting spin on the story too, is when you get to the point of being Ryan Murphy and there's so much going on, is quality compromised? Uh, I mean, you know, maybe and maybe not, but Ryan Murphy has always been about ideas, right? He doesn't operate the same way that Shonda Rhimes does. Shonda Rhimes creates worlds that have language and vocabulary around them and that we talk about for years after the fact, right? You can debate Mm -hmm. the level of quality in uh, Grey's Anatomy over the years or in Scandal or in How to Get Away with Murder, but they are branded and she uses their language and so forth. Murphy, on the other hand, breezes through them like water. Mm, It's fleeting. Yeah, it's like uh, he's, here's an idea I want to get across or here's a character take and move on, move on, move on. It's also that format that he kind of invented the American Horror Story idea that yeah. Uh, even though you have the same actors, you're mm-hmm. going to reinvent the parts. But the- I guess maybe Sorry, the exception. On. Yeah, I guess maybe the exception to that would be like Pose. I think Pose is that kind of show and that kind of story that brands itself on you the way you just described like a Shonda Rhimes project. I wouldn't categorize AHS or, you know, most of the other things that he does um, in quite the same way, but I do think that Pose, it feels like all the even the way he talks about Pose is a bit different from the way he talks about the other projects that he works on. You know, I I agree with you, and whether that's because we haven't had a show that is able to spend so much time with characters like those on Pose, and so. We're not exhausted of tropes. We're not just waiting to see what shock tactic is going to be brought out. I'm not mad at that by any by any stretch of the imagination. But the part of Ryan Murphy that is, you know, the sort of uh, that loves to look at the ugly side of pretty ladies or whatever that is, he knows that he, he has to keep pulling out new tricks and new tricks and new tricks for us, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Here's the other thing that I've been thinking about where uh, where somebody as prolific as Ryan Murphy is concerned. Uh, in Deadline last week, they announced uh, a list of possible accommodations that could happen on sets in order to get uh, Hollywood back to work. This is uh, related to the governor of California was talking about what California would need to do, obviously, Uh, The film industry is a big part of their economy. So they started drawing up, you know, here are some of the ways that that they would do this. So some of them are pretty small and and, you know, not that unusual. Like, for example, there will be no more communal tools on set. If you are a set builder, uh, you have to bring your own and not uh, use a communal one. Everybody will have to be tested before they come on set. Even like small but hilarious things like no more doorknobs, swinging doors only, right? So you can hip check your way through or whatever. But what gets really interesting is when they start talking about romantic scenes and and sex scenes. Uh, And I don't know if you had a chance to dig into this or not. Go on. Well, so for example... Um, 
what's weirdest is that, you know, they talk about there will have to be an extra level of protection built around actors whose health is crucial to keeping a production going and a crew employed. So if you are on Scandal, for example, or if you're on Pose, if Kerry Washington is sick or if Billy Porter is sick, you yeah. almost can't shoot, right? Right, so, right. Because everything involves them. So you have to keep them uh, protected at all costs. So that means uh, below the line personnel coming into contact with them will have to wear masks and gloves at all times. Mm-hmm. You think there was already uh, a hierarchy uh, uh-huh. on sets? And, you know, uh-huh. I read that line about below the line on purpose using that language because, yeah, yeah. there's going to be a lot more kind of uh, difficulty in us in and them. Us and them. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then where, you know, sort of intimate scenes are concerned, uh, obviously they're going to test actors before they work together. Uh, but there's no proper understanding now. Like there are workarounds for crowd scenes. There are workarounds for, uh, how you shoot a scene like what you and I are doing here, where people are talking to one another. Uh, I mean, famously on The Good Wife, uh, the the two <laughs> actors weren't even in the same frame at the end. But this is the the kind of issue that is facing Hollywood right now. How are they going to shoot intimate scenes? How are they going to shoot kissing scenes? How are they going to shoot, uh, you know, sex scenes? One thing that I've heard is the idea that people will uh, even more than usual, will sequester themselves. That if you go away to do a movie or a show, that maybe you essentially are on lockdown while you're away. Uh, and if you're touching anybody, it's either uh, the crew with gloves and masks on, or it's your co-star. So the only other person that you're touching IRL is your your co-star. And of course, like that my brain immediately goes to, well, then more female actors are going to be affected because you think about if you're shooting somewhere on location, a lot of times, you know, you bring your family with you. At least the female actors do. Sure. Um, So what are you going to like lock yourself down from your kids and your kids go out and play every day, right? There's the nanny and they have the help. Sure. But when you're on set, someone's looking after your kids and taking your kids out to the market and taking your kids out to the playground, Legoland, whatever. Uh-huh. Then your kid comes home. You come home from set. Like, how how does that work? Well, look, maybe uh, you are suggestible right now or maybe we've swapped places because my first concern – or not concern, but my first uh, – idea with this was the exact opposite I was like oh so there's going to be a lot more onset affairs then (laughs) because if the only person that you can touch for months at a time is Uh your co-star um they're the only safe person for you to touch and be with how's that going to go down right because They've said you shouldn't move your family to London to shoot the movie. You should leave your family in LA because otherwise you're you risk contamination by your family. I mean, listen, 
in addition then to all the affairs, then will it increase, it will increase divorces. Uh, <laughs> sure. That might not be exclusive to Hollywood. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's every possibility that, that that will be the case. So I bring this up with regard to Ryan Murphy specifically for two reasons. Uh, number one, like I said, he's prolific. He uh, writes all the things all the time. And God knows that of all the people, he's probably the one who can, uh, uh, you know, write some zombie movie or some, uh, you know, wasting away in a sanatorium uh, drama or something where people don't need to touch. Like he will work around this, I feel. But if his past track record is anything to go by, he's also going to be one of the people who is up against it first. Uh, you know, who the day the restrictions are lifted is out the door and rolling on a 13 hour day. So I'm very curious about how this is going to look. Uh, and of course, the other thing that people talk about, and this is where I want to have a tantrum uh, a little bit like yours at the beginning of the episode is people going, uh, well, maybe we'll have different other, you know, implications that mean that people are kissing or having sex. And no, I do not want it. I, no. I refuse to have people elbow touch on screen. And you tell me <laughs> that that is like a hot occasion. Yeah, stop. Yeah. No. Um, all right. So what is our grade for Ryan Murphy? Uh, grade for Ryan Murphy right now, I would say is a B plus. Uh, you know, lots of stuff coming out, but let's make sure that, uh, you know, I, 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 Ryan Murphy has potential, right? He can grow more potential. So we've been through the, the couple that needs improvement. Uh We've, uh, graded Ryan Murphy. Uh He's, he's doing okay to good. And now we come to top grade. Yes. Who is, uh, exceeding expectations. Issa Rae. Issa Rae. We've always loved Issa Rae, right? That's not a surprise to anybody. But uh, she's really a joyful focal point right now. Like, if I'm clinging to anything during a pandemic, Issa Rae is part of it. Look, if Issa Rae was just giving us um, season four of Insecure... It would be enough for me because the first two episodes are like making my Sunday nights better. I'm talking to you right now and you can see my fists up in the air. I love the show so much. It cracks me up. And the the one of the ways, not that I need this for validation, but when Yasik hears me watching Insecure, he has to come, unfortunately, invade my space and watch with me. It's, it's that much of a lure, even for him. And we do not have the same viewing tastes. But this show is so irresistible. So if Insecure being back was, was it, she'd already be doing A+, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because people love Insecure because it fills a real need. I mean, I love the shows that you're talking about where uh, almost watching somebody else enjoy them is its own enjoyment. I love those. Those are fantastic. But there's a lot more going on. And oh my uh, god, more, more, more. Right. Um so for example, uh she and Kumail Nanjiani did a hilariously like 
you know, timely, but not overly on the nose promo for the fact that their movie, uh, The Lovebirds, is going to be released on Netflix on May 22nd. It was, of course, supposed to be like a big summer date movie. Yeah. It's not happening. And so they promoted it. And that was super cute. Yep. And previous to that, she was promoting Insecure before the first episode of season four on Instagram live, bringing on cast members like Yvonne Orji and Jay Ellis, fucking Lawrence, man, um, <laughs> and uh, and Asian Bay um, to talk about the new season. And then there was like a, like a block party-ish, you yep. know, a DJ yeah. set. Uh, people were tuning in, people were laughing, the cast was engaging. I mean, that was an excellent use of social media, as pe- many people are are doing right now. She's also doing conventional press. So we have like the interviews with Teen Vogue. I think there was an interview with, there have been several interviews, including one with Vanity Fair, which you sent over to me. Right. Um, and that's before we even get to the obligatory part in the profile where they say, what all else she's doing, including uh, she's writing a pilot for an HBO Max show, uh, and she has another script. Uh, she's adapting Perfect Strangers. Um, and uh, sorry, not the ABC comedy, but uh, <laughs> not uh, the Balky show. Right, which is what I thought when I first <laughs> saw it. Um, she's doing the most, as you say. But she's not doing it all the same. And that's what I realized I love. The the cast members of Insecure that you mentioned and the block party are obviously uh, to promote Insecure. And they're also like thematically linked, right? Yeah. But um, but Issa Rae plays Issa D on Insecure. Mm-hmm. But the rest of her characters and her persona and her... And what she does in Hollywood, they are not all Issa D. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Like, Issa D and Issa Rae almost couldn't be more different. Like, Issa D is only just getting her shit together. Yeah, but she also has a, like, a real youthful vulnerability, almost, that that Issa Rae got rid of a long time ago or or deploys when she needs to, right? Yeah. That's what I really liked about the promoting of the Lovebirds with Kumail is that she's playing Issa Rae in the promo and she is not Issa D. She's not warm. She's not cuddly. She's sort of like, why are you bothering me? I got shit to do, which sounds pretty Issa Rae. And it was delightful to see that that little toggle switch. Not everybody can do that. No, but you remember when she announced the Oscar nominations and Kathleen did that tweet that went mega viral? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> because she announced the director category and after all five men's names were announced, she just looked at the camera and was like, congratulations to all those men. Mm-hmm. Which is a statement of fact. Yes, congratulations to all those men, but also a comment. And that is Issa. Like, that was just so smart and succinct and, like, not vulnerable, not afraid. No, I mean, it is the kind of comment that, you know, we might make or our friends might make, 
Uh, and yes, of course, we want to be friends with Issa Rae and all that. But I think the reason that that's notable here is that the person who is the delightful ingenue who everybody wants to spend time with television-wise is not always the same person who is the behind-the-scenes badass. And Issa Rae is that rare exception that gets to be both out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've talked... I, Sorry, I wonder on. where that comes from, to get to be both, like, to be both out loud. To step up in front of, like, a microphone before the Emmys... And, you know, when someone asks her that generic question, like, you know, what's your favorite show? Who do you hope will win? And she says, I'm rooting for everyone black. Well, um, I think as much as, as much as she seems like an overnight success who has come and just taken over Hollywood, she has had a, a longer road than most, or maybe a different way of saying it is Issa Rae talks about the failures that she had before. There were, I think, two different uh, Issa Rae written, Issa Rae starring pilots that didn't go or shows that never got developed before Insecure finally landed. Before that, there were adaptations of her web series, Awkward Black Girl. Um, She's been in this long enough that uh, she maybe doesn't have time to play the ingenue or got it out of her system when nobody was looking, you know? Mm-hmm. No, there's so much, I mean, in this Vanity Fair piece, we could have done a whole episode just based on this Vanity Fair piece because there are so many like pop boner work moments, including when she, um, she actually very specifically walks the journalist through her days and like days of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Friday, I do this or whatever. Thursday, Wednesday, I do this. Like, it is very, very, like, broken down. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind spending just a little time on it because, yeah, it's so juicy uh, that she says, I get up at four and the uh, the reporter is like, what? I almost fell over. And it's like, no, that's just what it takes. Like, maybe let's not be, let's not be super scandalized, right? But yeah. then, uh, yeah, to your point, she says that uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, she writes, and Tuesday and Thursdays, uh, I quote, are dedicated to all the business shit, all the calls I have to do, unquote. And, you know, there's you could read this one way or another and see whether some of that is based in, in COVID-19 uh, routines, because obviously when she's shooting, she can't have a routine like that, et cetera. But uh, yeah, she's regimented, which maybe allows for Issa D to come out when she needs her, for Issa Ray, the public figure, to come out when she needs her. They almost get a rest, right? Like yeah. the Issa who presented uh, the Oscar nominations then wasn't seen publicly for another month or so, short of press interviews, right? Yep. Short of print interviews, I should say. Uh, and she gets to be writer Issa. And then, you know, she's living with Issa D, the, the sweet ingenue in the edit suite and so forth. I mean, it may be something for us all to think about taking on. Like, when do you roll out which persona? 
Well, we just came out of talking about Ryan Murphy, who seems to, I mean, we don't really know because I don't think I've ever read an interview with Ryan Murphy where he's broken down his day like that. But we talked about how he's got so many projects going on at the same time. And you said that he breezes through all of them. Whereas Issa is very clear, I think, in this article with Vanity Fair to say, when I'm working on Insecure, I work on Insecure. But then I have to take a break from Insecure to go work either on my record label or this other show or this other thing. So I guess like when I was talking about being a monogamous viewer, Mm -hmm. she may be a monogamous worker. Whereas, yes, there are many things in her environment and many projects that she has, but there's a singular dedication to one at a time that she applies to make each one very, very good. Now, why does it sound so amazing when you say singular dedication? But when I hear of people being mindful and present, I want to like roll over and die. (laughs) I don't know. I think that I don't like, I'm like you, I don't like the, how it's been overused, the mindful and present. And I almost think that, um, the way that Issa has broken it down here is like, she's very clear that there's like muscle involved in it. You know what I mean? That it's something tangible that you can imagine that she has her workout at four o'clock in the morning and then her breakfast, and she's very clear about writing on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 10 to 6. You can picture it. Whereas mindful and present don't evoke to me anything concrete that I can visualize. What are you doing when you're mindful and present? I guess, I don't know, one way of answering it would be like, that's the point. I'm not really doing anything. I'm being present. But like, I can see her. She's in her house right now. She's writing from 10 to 6. She might be in sweats. She might have a mug of coffee next to her. But I do know that some sort of device is in front of her. Her fingers are on top of it. And she's typing and deleting and typing and deleting and getting up and saying, ah, that doesn't work. I can, like, I know that. But I guess, though, that's kind of what I'm getting at is that maybe those of us who don't see mindful and present or don't covet it, because yes, to me, it's like I... I feel as though mindfulness is supposed to mean that I'm covered in some sort of golden glow of uh, <laughs> like a heavenly orbit to be like, yes, you exist in your moment. Um, maybe it's it's a reminder that mindful and present can mean I am here fucking duking it out with my work and uh, and feeling like I gave everything to it in the moment. Uh, and you don't need to feel serenity about it because what was the word you used? There's muscle in it. Um, there probably can be mindfulness is mindfulness in using muscles. I would know if I worked out. <laughs> I, I, also, I mean, I, and I, I think that this is, this really came out in this interview where she was mindful about this interview in how specific she was in her answers and, um, how how she laid out her thoughts. Like when she talked about how lockdown and this whole disruption of every industry, including hers, has affected her work, she was like, you know what? I don't like working from home. I can't write or I don't enjoy writing at home. She li- She's like you. I like writing from home. You like to 
be at the library or at a cafe or at a restaurant on a bench somewhere. That also seems to be quite Issa's writing style. And she's had to adjust that. So even down to something as specific as where she likes to write and where she goes is is shared with us in this article, which I fucking love so much. You know what I mean? Like not a lot of people tell us where they like to work, what conditions they like to work in. Um, I mean, I would not have been surprised if she even included details with the the writer about like how she likes her lighting when she's writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing about that, again, to go to the whole mindfulness and whatever business, is that it, writing, which I think a lot of people romanticize, is not some divine intervention that comes to you and the freedom mm -hmm. of being able to put the ideas on the page and fuck that. It is, you know, she doesn't use the Shonda Rhimes metaphor in so many words, but she's speaking to it. Shonda Rhimes always talked about how getting writing done uh, is glorious, but first you have to run a giant gauntlet of doors of people saying, hey, do you want tea? And people calling to see if you want to update your fucking hot water furnace and, you know, noises outside and whatnot. And every time you get interrupted, you have yep. to go and run that gauntlet again. Um, yes. And it is a muscle. Also, Issa writing is using a muscle that, again, she's telling you all the uh, all the parameters that she needs in order to be so mindful and in order to produce what it is we need, you know? And finally, what I really, really appreciate that she did in this Vanity Fair interview, which isn't even that long. Holy shit, she got so much through, which and again, like, is a testament to her efficiency. Well, they played it in the Q&A fashion, Right. Uh, which partly they do when they're not doing a big, long, like, spread with fashion. But also I think they do when they're like, we want to use all of this that she has given us. So let's just put in questions so people understand how we got here. Yeah. Um, and so I was saying what I really appreciate that she said was she did talk about how people in Hollywood are finding new ways to work and the Zoom calls and, you know, um, that – Yes, she hopes that people can be more creative and take this time to imagine new stories. But she, at the same time, was also very, very clear because she would know in this industry that the people who hold the purse strings are always looking for ways to cut. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. she made a point of saying, at the same time, as we are coming up with new ideas to do things we shouldn't come up with using those new ways to cut out people's jobs. She said, I am sad and I hope that that doesn't happen. And I think that's a, that's a really important thing for someone in her position to say. And a lot of us are seeing, you know, changes in broadcast. Like, you know, you have fucking Anderson Cooper and Chris Cuomo and all these people broadcasting from their living rooms, which definitely cuts the need for a camera crew and lighting crew and whatever. But those people are still in our business essential services. And you, you don't want to see a world in which some executive is like, 
wow, we made that happen during the lockdown and we were able to not have to pay like an entire crew of people for Anderson's show or for Chris's show or for whoever's show. So can we explore that? No, no, we are not going to explore that. I, yeah, no, absolutely not. And I hope, I, I love that, uh, as you say, I love that she's addressing it, but also I think that Issa Rae's work in particular uh, she's not the only one, but her work is focused on human relationships and human interaction, not just on dating, but on friendships and on what it looks like when women spend time together without a particular agenda, what they're like when they're just in a room together. And that kind of storytelling, even that kind of perspective on the world comes from being in rooms with people, comes from... Uh, having the same kind of camaraderie on set or with your co-stars as you do with the friends who inspired you in the first place. So uh, I agree with you that it is maybe more powerful even than it would be otherwise for her to be the one pointing that out. So go read this Vanity Fair interview with Issa Rae if you haven't already because so much work, so much like work joy, but also work pain, um, right? As we've been saying, it's important to be able to mindfulness through the pain, whatever. Yeah, this is what a boss looks like, or this is who Reese Witherspoon is still fighting to be seen as. Yes. So A plus for Issa? I'm happy with that. A plus for Issa, and we can revisit at the end of Insecure, because I think it might break some hearts. And finally, speaking of top grades, I mean, the most top grade athlete, Michael Jordan, is the focus of probably, at least in my feeds, the most talked about television event um, in like right now during this lockdown. I mean, has it even permeated your feeds, Duanna, The Last Dance? Uh, not that much, to be honest with you. Um, but I know that it is, uh, something, I know it's something I should watch and that I'm going to enjoy watching. Uh, but here's what I was going to ask you though. Uh, so how many episodes, two episodes have dropped. Is that right? Two episodes have dropped. They're dropping two a week until May 17th. There's a total of 10. Um, and, uh, so this is going to be, I mean, People were getting dressed up for it on Sunday. They were putting on their sneakers. It was like must-see TV. Uh, social media blew up. It was the most trafficked, trended, or whatever thing of Sunday night. Um, and uh, this is there's so much to talk about here in terms of how long people have waited to see this because this footage is 22 years old. So when you talk about like fucking taking your time and all that, like you, it, it's classic erection shit for you. I promise you. Well, uh, that's actually what I wanted to ask you. So uh, because it is uh, historical and because it might not be something that people who don't watch a lot of sports, although sports journalism and sports docs are almost uh, uniformly compelling, Give us the, talk to me like I'm in grade five about why this is essential viewing for anybody who loves this podcast or loves entertainment, not just sports fans. 
Well, first of all, Michael Jordan, period. Arguably the greatest basketball player alive. But famously, famously a control freak and the most work-obsessed basketball player at that point in NBA history. Um, He was ruthless about winning and ruthless about only surrounding himself with people who could win according to his system. This docu-series was was filmed during the Chicago Bulls' sixth championship season, and it just so happened that in during this season, there was so much fucking drama behind the scenes. Like I'm talking boy shit, which you love, I love, mm-hmm. right? Egos. Um, are you a good enough player? I'm going to trade you. I'm going to show you that I'm offended by you wanting to trade me. This is Scottie Pippen. So you've got egos clashing. You've got um, a like a, a, a player who only thinks about winning. Like when he, when he won the fifth championship, a, literally five minutes later, he had just won the fifth championship. Michael Jordan was on camera saying, I'm thinking about next year. I want to win next year. So, um, so you've got the human drama, the human clashes, the tension, this work horse. I mean, this, like this guy who, who has all the work habits that have been debated over the years of whether or not this is a way someone should actually work. Um, And then, of course, the footage, the beautiful footage of him playing and all the contributors and the talking heads. I mean, it's like I – it's – yeah, we needed this right now. So is it your opinion that somebody who has never been a sports fan or known Michael Jordan beyond like the the most basic headlines uh, will be escorted through, like gets an introduction, uh, even though they can't um, rhyme off yes, his stats 100%. and all his awards? 100%. You don't have to have been, you don't have to have cared like for me and for a lot of people, one of our attachments to it is that we were there, we watched it, we lived it. So there's like a memory. But even if you don't carry an emotional attachment into this story, you're going to be into it in the same way that you cared about Friday Night Lights, even though you never watched football. I mean, look, I asked you to talk (laughs) me into it, but I didn't expect sort of the the passion that's coming off you right now, the same energy that would allow you to be recruited into a cult, uh, is allowing you to really get, uh, to, to get to my, to my vulnerable soft core. So I'm excited about this. Uh, and I suspect you're going to talk me into doing a podcast segment about it sometime soon. So I will study up. Oh yeah. Study up right now. I've, I've just written, on my notepad, I'm not going to show you, but I've written it down. What I predict your, like, the thing that you'll want to talk about the most is the there's a character, a person. Um, I've just written their name down, and I will show you when we discuss this on an upcoming episode of Show Your Work. Am I so predictable? All right. Uh, I will study up. <laughs> 
you guys study up to to come along with us uh, because, uh, yeah, as you say, this is the perfect time for something like this. Watch The Last Dance um, after you listen to all of our back episodes, of course. No, you can do it at the same time. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you for subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please keep sending us your thoughts, your notes. We really appreciate it. Thank you for all of us who have commented, especially during this time. We hear you. We love hearing from you. Miriam, we haven't forgotten you. We're getting there. Uh, And cannot wait to hear what's happening in your world. Keep us posted. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.